Hi, everybody. Welcome to the June 5th, 2020 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Kazuti. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's get started with a quick take on the new COVID-19 cases hitting an almost all-time low since the pandemic began, but major outbreak locations still struggling to stop the spread within their facilities. Pat Calhoun from Westwood, we'll start with you on this one. It seems like good news overall, but these other facilities, you worry that if that's actually going to uh, dribble out to other parts of society quicker now that people are getting a little more comfortable. What do you think about the latest numbers? Well, the number of outbreak sites in Colorado is definitely dropping, and those are the ones with two cases. But we still are seeing them in supermarkets. We're seeing them in other stores. And the big concern in Colorado will be now that people have been not social distancing without masks, say at protests or maybe at Chatfield, is that going to contribute to an increase again? Let's hope not, because Polis is now letting some things open more, churches, maybe swimming pools. We're getting back to some kind of normal as long as people behave themselves. David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. David, you see these numbers. Uh, what do they say to you? And then maybe as uh, policy decisions are moving forward, what it might signal for that? Well, we are definitely going to have a, a natural experiment to find out, like as Patty mentioned, is if you have a lot of people very close together outdoors, many of them not wearing masks, yelling and, and chanting and singing, is that a seating event that causes a big spread? And if not, then it's definitely time to reopen sports stadiums immediately. It's, it's so amazing and, and awful that in other states, which are still under more severe uh, lockdowns, like Michigan, where Governor Whitmer won't let small businesses reopen, or New York City, where Mayor de Blasio still bans church services with more than 10 people, even if they're outdoors, yet those two hypocrites, Whitmer and de Blasio, personally participate in mass political gatherings right now. It's kind of a sign that in some places, these continuing shutdowns are more about the thrill of abusing power rather than about public health and safety. Eric Sonnen, political analyst and columnist with Colorado Politics. Uh, Eric, what do you think our state officials here in Colorado are going to do with these new numbers? We shall see. Obviously, Polis has been gradually uh, releasing some of the restrictions. Uh, kudos to him for his executive order yesterday, allowing businesses, not requiring businesses, but allowing businesses to, to individual businesses to require masks. I hope more businesses uh, do that. I saw a report this morning, it was a national report, but it had Colorado on the list of states where uh, it was trending upwards over last week, not over uh, some baselines, but over last week. The big issue here, Dominic, is going to be, is COVID a single spike that we saw in March and April uh, into early May, or is this going to be a series of peaks and valleys where it withers for a while and then you see a new spike and then it withers again and that we're always having to adjust the, the, the level of exposure we get and the level of restriction that we operate under? And rounding out the panel, Leanne Wheeler from Wheeler Advisory Group and an Air Force vet. Leanne, it's great to have you back. Uh, Leanne, you look at these numbers. Is this cause for hope around Colorado to maybe some tentative optimism? What's your thoughts? I think there's still room for caution. My concern is as we, we open things up, uh, and primarily I'm thinking workspaces, uh, these are individuals that may be uh, still asymptomatic, uh, that may be COVID positive, and then carrying that um, virus back home to their families or to the next location on the commute home from work. Uh, so I think there's still an opportunity to be cautious. 
Uh, I am concerned uh, in that there were deliberate acts of pulling masks down and and gassing folks, and I know we'll get to that, um, and a lot of coughing and and irritation uh, in these public spaces around uh, the constitutional right to protest. Um, I'm anticipating seeing a spike, and my hope would be that we still have that entire uh, value stream in place. So if surge is required in testing and surge is required um, in hospitals, that we still have that in place to accommodate what we'll likely see in the next two to 14 days as a result of the protests. Over the week, as protests around the state capitol against police brutality grew in size, police scaled back aggressive crowd control tactics. During the first few days and nights of the protests, Denver police used uh, fired chemical agents and projectiles into the crowd. But by Wednesday night, police did not use chemical weapons at all. Meanwhile, the protests have also taken a far different tone with far less destruction and more marching. Uh, Patty, let's go to you first on this one. The protests around Denver were a wild roller coaster ride last week. Uh, it was scary at times and uplifting at times, really depending on what time you were looking at what street on what day. Um, what do you think is going to be the future of the protests and how the city is reacting to those protests? Well, the city reacted the right way a little too late. Let's go with last Saturday when you had really great rallies early in the day up till five o'clock at the Capitol, good speeches. And then people said, okay, we're done with this now, let's go. And then we had some significant problems. You had vandalism, you had really bad issues, both some very few, but some of the protesters, police lobbing their less lethal um, tear gas canisters. It was bad. But then after Sunday, things did turn around and it's great. You had protest leaders who refocused the demonstrations on what is the point, which is justice for George Floyd, justice for all the other people of color who have suffered at the hands of law enforcement and a greater discussion of the issue with the community. We had police chief Paul Pazin go out where he should have been. We had Michael Hancock finally going out and marching where he should have been. We've had thousands of people gather peacefully and that's what's important. And that is the trend we wanna see continue. But we also need to have the major discussions of what needs to change. David, we certainly witnessed the ugliness of what was what can happen with these protests. We're trying to figure out still what was the root of that and what individuals, but how it evolved, both from the city officials' responses to the, the police responses, then also from the protesters themselves. It definitely took on a different tone. Uh, how do you interpret the, the, the different trends that happened over the last several days? Well, one reason the police used less force on Wednesday than on Sunday was because there were fewer people on the street who were violent. I saw the storefronts on, on East Colfax, the broken glass, the bricks through the windows, the boarded up stores to just to protect themselves. You know, most protesters in, in Denver and in Colorado have always been peaceful. But within any large crowd, you're, you're often going to find some, some criminals and sadists. These are the kind of people who break windows, destroy small businesses, and pretend they're the good guys. They're no different from Hitler's brown shirts or Mao's red guards. Eric, I guess when you see the evolution of how things happened over the week, you, we, we've seen the ugly, but we've seen the good and a little bit of everything in between. Are you hopeful moving forward? Um, 
did were there lessons learned really on all sides of this? Uh, how how are you looking ahead when it comes to protests in, in Denver? Well, I guess the word Dominic would be hopeful, but also cautiously hopeful. Uh, as Patty ha- and David pointed out, I agree the trend has been in the right direction. I think by and large, most of the police have behaved themselves and acquitted themselves well, and most of the protesters have done the same. As the week has gone along, you've had more good behavior on both sides of the divide and less bad behavior on both sides of the divide. Good behavior tends to feed upon itself. Uh, Good behavior among protesters evokes less of a response from police forces uh, and vice versa. What I'm really stunned by is the amount of time these protests have gone on, that they don't show any sign of abating. And when, as per Patty's comment, when do we take that step of turning this from protests and speeches and rallies on capital steps to meaningful conversation, both among the public at large, among policymakers, inside police departments, and whatever. We have not yet hit that transition point. I'm curious when that transition point will come. Leanne, speak to some of the the, the results, some of the twists and turns. It felt like uh, there was uh, not a whole lot of hope. You look at something like Saturday and Sunday night and how what that was looking like in Denver. And then you look to Wednesday, and you really saw actions from a lot of different sides. You saw Chief Pazin be, be, be part of it, but you saw more protesters trying to uh, make it uh, about uh, a, a peaceful protest and more kneel-down protests, things like that. So it felt like a lot of different sides coming together. I'm not sure what triggered that, but I was happy to see that part. When you look at the overall situation, especially as we move forward, what arrives to you? So there are a number of things that occur for me. First, I'd like for us to move away from a vernacular around behaviors. Uh, There was an event, um, the third, as I would classify a pandemic, we've dealt with um, unhoused neighbors poorly, we've dealt with COVID poorly, and now we're dealing with racism poorly. Uh, So so as, as it relates to the protests, there are folks who are called to speak out uh, in a protest way. That can happen, that can continue to happen, even as there is a group or several individuals or a coalition of individuals that come together to plan, strategize, organize, and then mobilize around legislative changes, systems changes, those types of things. I think here in America, we've, we've, we, we believe that we can say, you've been heard now, leave the streets and then go plan something, go, go tend to legislation. That's not what this is. I would expect to see folks still protesting even as Senate Bill 271 is being heard. I would expect people still protesting even as we move forward with a discussion as to what we really want to do uh, about policing. Do we really need a paramilitary law enforcement function? Uh, I still expect to see protesters. The second thread that I want to talk about briefly is that whenever there's a mass movement or a crowd, and we see this um, internationally, there will always be bad actors who come in to that under the cover of crowd and do what they do. I think we set a narrative in this country that that one who is saying, I'm not okay with what happened, is also the one that's throwing the brick through the window. And I would argue that that's not the case. I'm cautiously optimistic that a coalition will come together, plan, strategize, organize, and mobilize on their plan. 
uh, even as um, folks were still protesting, what they continue to see uh, as the police department is uh, engaging crowds uh, in, in the interest of uh, avoiding the looting. It, it's sort of this catch-22 uh, situation at the moment, but I am cautiously optimistic. Well, let's get to some of the reaction from officials, both uh, city and state. Last week, during an interview with Nine News, Mayor Michael Hancock described that the recent high-profile deaths of three civilians at the hands of Denver police were murders. Later, a spokesperson walked back the comments, saying the three were killed but not murdered. Meanwhile, Colorado Senate President Leroy Garcia, along with leaders of the Black and Latino caucuses, introduced a bill this week to make several police reforms. Uh, David, we start with you. Uh, clearly, there needs to be a reaction from uh, city and state officials, but even that took a lot of different twists and turns this week. Uh, what stood out to you? Well, I've, I've been writing about law enforcement violence since the early 1990s, and including an award-winning book on the topic. And the fact is, it's very hard to fire bad cops who work for large municipalities or the federal government. In a way, it's the same problem as you have for public school teachers in some districts. Union contracts, civil service laws make it extremely difficult to get rid of employees who are mediocre or worse. Those laws were enacted with good intentions to protect ordinary employees from abusive bosses, and that's a good idea, but they've sometimes gone too far. So if you want to reduce improper use of force against people of all races, Colorado has a successful model. It's our county sheriffs. As part of civil rights litigation on behalf of almost every sheriff in Colorado, I read their reports on every single time a sheriff's deputy pulled a trigger against a person or an animal during a 10-year period, and not one single shot fired was even questionable. Unlike federal or municipal police, a sheriff's deputy is an at-will employee and can be fired instantly. That definitely produces unfairness for some employees, but it also allows the sheriff to get rid of mediocre people who have bad judgment. And on top of that, the people themselves can fire the sheriff personally through elections every four years. And that also sometimes results in unfairness with a good sheriff just losing because of a, a partisan reason. But that's a better system than having uh, the kind of life tenure and immunity that uh, exists the other way. You know, there, there's always a, a tendency in human nature to use the bad acts of a few people as a pretext to persecute an, an entire group. You know, in, in medieval Europe, maybe one Jew might commit a crime. So then a mob goes and burns down the whole Jewish ghetto. And in 21st century America, it's really pretty similar. There are some people who lead national hate campaigns against Muslims because a few Muslims perpetrate terrible acts of terrorism. Or again, or similarly, uh, there are some lots of people who are illegally present in the United States, and just a small minority of them per per perpetrate atrocious, violent crimes. But then some political people try to take political advantage and saying, let's persecute all of that group. And the same thing with gun owners. One lone psychopath uh, perpetrates a crime. And so the Bloomberg lobby gins up a national hate campaign against all gun owners. And the same thing is going on right now against law enforcement officers. It is a lie to say that most law enforcement officers use force inappropriately. It's a lie to say that most law enforcement officers are racially prejudiced. Standing up to hate includes standing up to the hate currently being directed against the good people who serve and protect. 
Eric, uh, part of your esteemed career as a consultant included uh, talking to officials and being a communications consultant. When you saw the different comments coming from Mayor Hancock and his office this week, and then a variety of different things coming from the state legislature, uh, I, I thought to myself, you know, if, if Eric was on the clock a, a few years back and, and working here, I wonder what he would have advised. I wonder what he would have done. So now I have the opportunity. Eric, <laughs> what do you think of how it went down and how would you have uh, consulted the situation? Well, it's, you know, this is the ultimate in crisis communications. Uh, and it's always easier to do it uh, when you're analyzing it on a television program than in real time. But I'll take my shot here. I sometimes think that your first comment reveals your inner truth. And I think in Michael Hancock's case, when he referred to those three cases as a murder, he might have been speaking from his heart. He might have been speaking from his gut. No doubt he got back to the office. I don't think he probably talked to his communications people as much as he talked to the city attorney and other legal people on his team who told him he had to walk that back for the sake of the city not putting out even more millions of dollars in settlements than we've already put out. Kudos uh, to the Hancock administration for taking quick action with respect to the cop who was on social media, Instagram, I believe, with some stupid picture and a caption about let's start a riot. Kudos to them for immediately reacting to that and removing this individual uh, from the force. Uh, real quickly, with respect to the legislation, you know, more power to them. I hope the debate is a constructive one. I hope something comes of it. To Leanne's point in the last uh, cycle of uh, discussion, I, I, obviously there needs to be policy changes um, and statutory changes, but the real challenge is going to be a cultural and systemic challenge, and that is even harder than anything that a legislature can do in a week or two, and that is going to be where the real tough work uh, has to transpire. Well, Leanne, let's get to the reaction, not only from city officials, but state officials. You have legislators right there with this happening literally on their doorstep, uh, coming up with uh, bills, trying to do this in a very quickly, uh, very quick fashion because the session will be over pretty quickly. And they're trying to get through everything that is just COVID related. Clearly, this rises uh, uh, above that to do something. But uh, for it to be truly thoughtful, it's going to have to be done very quickly. Can we get something thoughtful and effective and quick at the same time? You know, I believe we can, uh, but but the issue truly is a, a cultural one. Um, we've got an understanding that we should have a policing function, uh, and um, we need to rethink our policing function. You know, as a military veteran, I think about the mutual accountability we hold one another to, uh, even while in combat. Um, there are just certain actions that we don't tolerate from those in our ranks, and and so all the work and no matter what people feel about military and the military industrial complex, we are centered in character and integrity by the time we are in service with one another. And so we've got a cultural change that needs to shift uh, in law enforcement that centers character and integrity. And if I'm working alongside an officer that would push a 75 year old man on a sidewalk, if I am working alongside an officer that would put his knee on the neck of a, an American citizen for eight minutes and 43 seconds and I don't act, that also makes me a bad apple. And so we've got to get to a place, certainly with policy, but policy only works if you've had a cultural shift, a culture change, systemic change. 
And I'll say that I believe that we have to start from the ground up. It's harder in some systems to reform them because they've been in place for 400 years. We've got to get to a place where we as a society decide how we want to be policed and then build that system for which those applies, those rules can apply. Otherwise, I think we're going to, we're going to come back to this time and time again. So this is an opportunity to stop and build the thing we know we need and then apply that new law, apply those new policies to the new thing we need. Patty, let's go to you now. You saw the reaction from state officials, city officials. They had to do something, but it was almost as tumultuous as the protests we were seeing. Uh, what were your takeaways? Well, that the city officials responded too late, but we're now seeing other Denver elected officials coming in. You see Tay Anderson on the school board who is proposing that the school board quit using police officers in schools as resource officers, instead use the money for nurses and for mental health services and other things. You see city council members now going forward, they wanna look at the use of force rules, think about different ways they can use uh, they can't do a lot with the budget, but they can try to use any money left over in the police budget for other things, or if they're pushing that. And then we have what's going on at the State House. Leslie Harrod was already pushing for more legislation to watch out for incidents of police violence, like Devon Bailey down in Colorado Springs. So I think that is going to fly through the State House. Well, it's going to be tough. We're going to need to do a quick take on this last one. This week, former governor and current U.S. Senate candidate John Hickenlooper continued to fight to delay his ethics commission hearing. The hearing finally started yesterday, but without Hickenlooper, he did not appear. The attorney general's office contacted Hickenlooper to enforce the subpoena, and he is expected to appear at the hearing today after being found in contempt yesterday. Uh, Eric, I know it's tough to do a quick take, but what were your thoughts on what happened this week? Yeah, any other week, Dominic, this would obviously be topic number one on this show. Here we're doing a quick take. I'll avoid any talk about the legal strategy as uh, Hickenlooper's attorney, Mark Gruskin, is one of my closest friends. But the way Hickenlooper has handled this has done everything to amplify the issue as opposed to make it go away or tamp it down. It makes me question whether his political instincts are still as sharp as they used to be. And I would just say the talent there's a special political talent of knowing when it's time to leave the stage. John Hickenlooper hasn't shown that particular talent. This would be such an interesting race right now if he had never bigfooted into the race in the first place and left it to that younger generation to sort out. Leanne, let's go to you. Uh, it's tough to do on a quick take, but your reaction to all the craziness that has been the Hickenlooper response this week. So a mere days away from the primary election and Hickenlooper is, has been a disaster. You know, I, I watched his, um, his uh, uh, discussion on the Colorado Black uh, Women for Political Action um, event earlier in the week. Uh, he, he blew it there. And then to completely avoid uh, answering his subpoena on yesterday over something that we've been talking about as a state since last summer. Uh, so my concern is uh, shared, uh, the same as Eric's, and that it's probably time uh, for the good former governor to retire and move on. Um, we've got to create uh, an opportunity and time and space for um, other uh, citizens to run for office uh, and show their chops. This was an exciting lead-in to the primary, actually, to see so many different candidates uh, looking to do the work. 
none of whom had an outstanding ethics issue that needed a hearing in court. So um, to come into these final days of the primary season and be the guy that no shows on a subpoena, no one else gets to do gets to do that um, isn't a good look, uh, Governor Hickenlooper. So um, I pray that you start doing better coming into this primary election. Patty, your quick take on your, your quick take on uh, Hickenlooper's both uh, refusal to show up, the subpoena, the uh, everything in between. Maybe he was on one of the Musk brothers' planes, which is one of the issues that comes up in this ethics hearing. Look, we know it's hard not to have a handler by you when you're speaking, as evidenced by this whole show, but and by evidence as evidenced by Mayor Han- Hancock when he was talking to Kyle Clark. But you have to show up, whether or not your lawyer can be there. Even if maybe legally you can win the fight, you're not going to win the fight in the court of public opinion. David, let's wrap it up with you. Your quick take on Hickenlooper this week. Sure. On this show for almost 15 years, we've criticized how badly written the Article 29 so-called ethics and government amendment to the Constitution is. It was written by, uh, financed by Jared Polis and people ignored, and they willfully ignored um, criticisms they heard about the bill when it, the amendment when it could have been improved in, in the language. But that said, you know, taking private jet trips with your billionaire friends to a European conference with the, so you can talk with the Bilderbergers about how they're going to rule the world really is something that shouldn't be prohibited. And if you get a subpoena from a government body that says show up on June 5, you should show up on June 5 and not say, oh, well, we'll do it on June 16. Well, it's time for a very fair part of the show, Disgrace the Week. As always, we start with, uh, with you, Miss Calhoun, but it is our bumper sticker edition for both Disgrace and Say Something Nice. Technology, which not only knocked me off the show for about 15 minutes, but knocked out 75 stories on westward.com this week. I apologize to all our readers. We're getting them back. David, your Disgrace of the Week. The medical journal, The Lancet, was tricked into publishing a fake study that purported to show that hydroxychloroquine doesn't work against CCP virus. The Guardian newspaper in England exposed that the study was fake, and The Lancet, to its credit, uh, retracted and withdrew the study. Eric. Our president, in about one hour on Monday evening, showed all his worst instincts from a speech threatening the use of the military in a domestic political situation to clearing a park uh, in a violent manner so he could do a stroll for a photo op holding a Bible that he was wielding as a foreign object. Leanne. Actually, I I dovetail uh, Eric's sentiment and the disgrace of the week was Defense Secretary Esper and that he allowed that madness to transpire in the first place. Let's say something nice about somebody. Patty. The protest people who are behaving well and really inspiring people. Tay Anderson, who you watch growing on the job before you, doing a good job. David. The great anti-lynching journalist of the late 19th and early 20th century, Ida B. Wells, who had some very good advice for all kinds of people who want to uh, protect themselves from mobs. She said a Winchester rifle should have a place of honor in every black home, and it should be used for the protection which the law refuses to give. And that's just what the Minneapolis NAACP is doing. They've organized multiracial armed defenders to protect black businesses from looters. Eric. He was my disgrace, he'll also be my say something nice. Donald Trump, he has been fully transparent this week, transparent and showing us what a really loathsome creature he is. And I think the country is finally grasping that and ready to make a change. Liam. 
Uh, I would like to give a shout out to Brother Jeff over in Denver, Five Points, not too far from the studio, and Whittier Cafe, his bride, Malete. Both of them have provided a platform for those who would protest to come and find respite, to come and find comfort, and to organize and then uh, uh, move out again, uh, mobilize. So thank you to those community partners who are supporting uh, the mission this week in Denver. Before we go, I want to give a quick uh, uh, update for all of our viewers. We will be bringing you one of the uh, two debates with uh, Governor Hickenlooper and Andrew Romanoff next week. It'll be broadcast on CBS4, our debate partner, on Wednesday at 6 p.m. And the same debate will then be broadcast right here on PBS12 at 9 p.m. So next Friday at 9 p.m. or next Wednesday 6 p.m. on Channel 4, you can check out uh, an important debate uh, in the U.S. Senate Democratic primary. For everybody here at PBS 12 in Colorado Inside Out, I'm Dominic Gazzuti. Thank you so much for watching. Good night.